Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show all about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by Rob Blanchett. Rob, COVID affected still. <laughs> How are you holding up? I'm alive and I'm sat here in front of my camera and mic. So I'm taking that as a positive. But Rob is exi- yes, existing at the moment. I do exist. I'm definitely still on the planet for now. So we're here. We're here to talk about our football club. And everything is good. And bad. <laughs> and bad. <laughs> uh, not, not to, we don't want to draw too much on the bad stuff, but I feel like uh, there's a number of uh, points today that we maybe have to shine a negative light on regarding Man United's transfer business uh, over the years. And now uh, we'll talk Durian Timber. We'll talk Paul Pogba, whose Pogmentary has landed on Friday. <laughs> Uh, I think it's a five or six part series, 30 minutes an episode. Uh, so you can pick that up and watch it. But obviously the comments ahead of uh, ahead of the show coming out have been circulating in the last 24, 48 hours or so. So we'll talk about those. We'll talk Dean Henderson as well. And we'll also talk a little bit positively about potential arrival of Christian Eriksen at Man United. There's a contract offer on the table, but he has plenty of options. Uh, no decision made yet, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, just to remind you, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., etc. And now you can watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays too. So head over to YouTube, uh, hit the like button, subscribe, join the community, leave a comment, and the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on audio. Rob, let's get into what's the big story? I think we are recording this on Friday, but I think we've this might come out over the weekend or maybe gather some pace over the weekend about Jury and Timber effectively making the decision not to move to Manchester United uh, despite United being able to press ahead with Ajax and think Ajax are willing to sell for the right price but it looks as though Timber very weary of his position at the World Cup with the Dutch national team having seen Donny van der Beek move to Man United and completely lose his place in, in the national team under Louis van Gaal has decided maybe it's better to stay at Ajax for now. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think the deal is completely off at the moment, but it's just, I would say, it's just looking unlikely as it stands. Not to say that this could reverse, but Timber has been spoken about glowingly by Eric Ten Hag uh, during their time together at Ajax. He's called him captain material and this kind of thing. And would have been a good starting signing, can play right back and centre back. But is this a blow? If this doesn't come off, is this a blow to Man United's plans? And like, how high in the pecking order of importance was this transfer? I don't think it's a blow in terms of the plans. I just think it's a case of the reality of Manchester United today. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that is players are looking at the football club and saying, do I want to do this? Is this where I want to be? Man United are a great club. Yeah, they'll pay me lots of big wages and... It's a superstar environment and all of this. But do I want to sit on their bench? Do I want to go to the Premier League, be a team who's fighting for fourth in the initial stages and not play? So the Donny van der Beek conundrum is very real in, I think, lots of players' minds, both players who are already at the club and also players who potentially could come. You know, I think Frankie de Jong falls under that category as well. But I think with Timber, there's also this maybe feeling that the... You could get him now for a cheaper price, but there's no doubt that Ajax, I think, want to kind of inflate that price over the next 12 months. You know, they want they want him to stay at the club. They would like to make him a major part of the team. He already is. 
and he's already playing in the Champions League, isn't he? So this is there's lots of boxes ticked for the player, and I think the whole feeling around his own camp is that he can wait and see. The power is in his command, not necessarily Manchester United's. Yeah, I mean, Ten Hag and Timber have obviously worked together. They've spoken, uh, and you can read about this on 90min.com around about the time that this podcast comes out as well. Uh, you should be able to find it there on the Man United feed. Uh, but obviously, I think it's it's the guarantees thing, really, and the position in the team that have made Timber's decision go this way. Uh, just because of the World Cup coming up in November, obviously, we've seen uh, the 2026 World Cup has been... The host cities were announced last night, Rob. I don't know if you caught that. But um, the US 48 team World Cup uh, has been... Not con- not confirmed, but the the host cities uh, and where that will take place is quite exciting. But obviously, we've got the twenty twenty two World Cup to get out of the way first, and Timber will be a part of the Netherlands team, Netherlands defence to uh, to take place there. And if he jeopardises that position in that team by moving to United and then ended up not playing for six months or something like that, then you'll probably end up regretting that. So I think it's probably a safeguarding decision from Timber to just ensure. Another season. Another season at Ajax won't do him any harm, will it? Absolutely not. And Ajax are a super big club as well. So they're not on Manchester United's level commercially, globally, as it stands. And there's no doubt that if he wanted to make that next step, the next step would probably be the Premier League for him. But I I, I just, I think fans don't completely cotton on that even though United have got a new manager, a new direction, are putting out all the right stuff, saying they're going here... Can they be trusted? I think lots of players and, and representatives and agents are kind of going at the moment, not sure. Let's wait and see. We don't want to be in the first wave of transfers. But hey, if Man United do well in the next year, suddenly they become a much more saleable club again, don't they? So you're right. I think with the strange World Cup year, like we should be in the World Cup now, we should all be working on it. And of course, we're not because it's in Qatar and it's going to be uh, towards the end of the year. Players have got one eye on that. They don't want to sit on the bench. There isn't, you know, the risk factor to have another Donny van der Beek is high if you move to a club like United that's still maybe a bit dysfunctional. So not surprised at all. I think the general feeling from Timber straight away was that he likes United. He obviously likes Ten Hag, but he doesn't particularly like the odds at the moment. But in the future, of course, might be tempted to come to Manchester United. We talked on the last show, Rob, about, uh, you know, there's been... Three days into we're three days into the transfer window, and now we're about five or six days into the transfer window actually mm. opening. Clubs able to make signings, this kind of thing. How do you um, how do you assess it so far? Because you obviously go through these, well, United fans obviously go through these waves of, oh wow, I'm excited, and then nothing happens for a few days, and it's like, oh my god, United, ah, oh, we're just the worst run club in the world, and then a little <laughs> bit of excitement comes back, and you get a wave, you know, the advancement of a deal. How would you assess? the the window so far like we've we've spoken about how many signings United need do they need to do they need to have done more by now do you think the the, the answer to that is no because the transfer window is a long elongated process you're just saying there about fans and kind of the industry and how things are I always look at the transfer window as work that's what it, it is Stuff happens every day. As uh, as journalists, we have to stay on top of that and be part of the cycle and kind of know what's going on. But I think with fans, fans are always so rabid for new information or what's happening or new names. But the truth is, is that football clubs generally have 10 things burning away all at once. 
and they have to kind of prioritise as they go along. And Manchester United are definitely at that stage. There are players that they want. There's players they're trying to negotiate with to get into the football club. But this is the earliest days of a brand new manager. Man United have to get this right. They can't just go out and bring in players to keep fans happy. They have done that in the past, haven't they, Scott? They've made signings that I think have been to shut the fan base up. You know, I think Ronaldo might have been one of those 12 months ago. You know, it's that kind of signing. Let's shut everyone up. We've delivered what you want. And let's get on with some football. I don't want that this time. I want United to make the right signings. It is still early, but I do also understand the frustrations of football fans because they'll look at Liverpool, they look at City, and the old green-eyed monster starts to kick in. And people say, oh, well, why can United not get their business done yet other clubs can? It's a fair point, but at the same time, I think you do need to be methodical in these first few weeks. I think a lot of it centres around uh, Frankie de Jong obviously being yeah. the primary target as well. Obviously, uh, there's been news about Barcelona's meeting on Thursday, which will drib-drab through over the next couple of days, obviously, and how that might affect their uh, attitude towards selling Frankie de Jong and like, how much they'll accept for him and this kind of thing. Uh, do you think, uh, we'll get on to Christian Eriksen in a little bit, but I think de Jong and Eriksen are two separate cases and they could end up both coming. Like, let's yeah. just say that. Uh, they One won't affect the other, in a sense. But... Um, do you think United should move on from De Jong or is this just a case of let, let's get this one done first and no matter how long it takes, as long as it's done within the next couple of weeks and the deal's agreed, De Jong can rock up first day of preseason training, do a medical and then be unveiled in the new kit and this kind of business. Uh, is is that one the most important to get get done first and then United will turn their decisions elsewhere? It's difficult to ascertain because De Jong is important. Strengthening your midfield is important. But do you have to stick with Frankie de Jong or nothing? Of course not. There are other players out there. I think as the situation stands with Barcelona, Barcelona, it appears, have less of a kind of worry about selling players just as it stands today. That might change. We do know that their finances are a complete mess. Um, and Frankie de Jong is part of that picture. They've made it quite clear across Europe that they're happy to sell the player. That's not a secret. But Frankie de Jong doesn't really want to come to Man United. He would rather stay at Barcelona. But if Barcelona show him the door, he can go. So United need to balance and juggle all of this, Scott. And they've got to make sure that they don't get caught on the hop too long. Because if they do that and just say, right, we'll wait for De Jong and we'll sign De Jong five minutes before the end of the transfer window. Oh, De Jong's not coming now. What are we going to do? Oh, let's go and get someone on loan quickly. Got James Garner. Let's start him. You know, it doesn't make sense. So United have to know what they're doing. And I think Ten Hag, the kind of information we're getting is that Ten Hag wants the player, but if the player isn't coming, Ten Hag wants to pull the deal. Ten Hag wants to get on with the job. So I think that's kind of where we stand today. There'll be a few more days of this, but I think it will become a lot more clear now over the next week or two what the position with Frank de Jong truly is. Yeah, so I'm sure we'll touch back on that in the next few weeks, next few days, next few episodes. But uh, let's move on to... Just mentioned in there, Christian Eriksen uh, is out of contract, has effectively told Brentford, who took a chance on him, obviously, after obviously everything that happened with his health. Uh, it's great to see him back. He came back to the football pitch and has played as well as he's ever as he's ever played uh, in the Premier League before. And United have put an offer on the table for Christian Eriksen among 
Although they're not the only club to do so. Let's just let's just put it that way. I think Tottenham have interest in him. Although Champions League football and the lure of that isn't actually going to be a massive factor. I think United are keen on getting him. But as far as we understand, Rob, it's uh, Christian Eriksen is his decision to make. Uh, and he's not made a decision yet. And we'll wait and see over the next few days about what he decides to do. Yep, his contract is up at Brentford uh, in 14 days. Um, and there is also a chance that he might re-sign at Brentford. You know, he's popular there. They still want him. He'll be offered a good wage. But I think for him, he he still has ambition. So even obviously all the terrible things that happened with his health, you know, not that long ago. You know, it feels like it was ages ago now, but it really isn't. And his recovery has been spectacular. And he's still the same player, isn't he? He can play at the very top level. So he's got offers both, I think, uh, in England and from abroad. I think Leicester have also made him an offer. Uh, he's got the chance to play at a high level and I think he will take that. You know, he wants that. He wants to challenge. And I think this is the thing about Manchester United and Christian Eriksen is that if United can offer him genuine first-team minutes as a starter and sell that to him, I think he'll be really up for that. I think he'll like that. I don't think he wants to go to Tottenham and be a bit part player. Don't want to be coming their impact sub, coming off the bench and all of that. He wants to be part of a core of something new and fresh. So, again, that's up to Ten Hag, isn't it, to weave the magic, speak to the player and say that if you come to Manchester United, you're going to play a ton of minutes, you're going to be really important, and we're going to help you be the player you want to be once again. He's proved at Brentford that he's still a superstar, that he's still a top midfielder. And I can see him getting goals and assists and giving Manchester United what they miss from a player like Bruno Fernandes who I think is a little bit more focused on being a number 10 himself, getting his own numbers. You need someone who can create from midfield. What, what do you see Ericsson, what kind of role do you see him fulfilling mainly? Because obviously Juan Mata's left, but there are some, some kind of suggestions that later in his career now, he could maybe step back into a deeper midfield position rather than the number 10 role that he's fulfilled a lot of the time throughout his career. Is he a, an understudy to Bruno Fernandes, do you think? is Or is he a player who can sit and maybe direct things, take all the set pieces, whip crosses into Ronaldo's head, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's more about what Ten Hag will do formation-wise. So we we believe and we feel that Ten Hag will play 4-2-3-1. That's where he's going. Are you going to play Christian Eriksen in your two in the, in the double pivot? Absolutely not, because it just doesn't fit him. Can he play a deeper role? Yes, he can. But he can play in that three behind Ronaldo. You know, this is kind of what United are looking to do. Can you unlock the door of the attack with new signings? So De Jong would help your midfield if he came, you know, right in the central core. There's always still the Ruben Neves things going on and we're kind of just wait and see on that and see where United can go with that player. But I think when you've got Ericsson, he would give you something different to what Bruno Fernandes does. Bruno Fernandes, I think, showed last year that as good as you get goals and the assists and what he does, he's not a great creative fulcrum. He doesn't get the ball on the deck and can play the thread of a needle pass. Christian Eriksen absolutely can. So I think that's why Manchester United are looking at him. And I think if he does that, Scott, and does it regularly and does it consistently, he'll start. He'll be in that starting eleven more often than not. Talking of, unless you have anything else to talk about on Christian Eriksen, I was going to move on to Paul Pogba because you talked about eye of the needle passes and there was a long time <laughs> uh, over the last six years where United fans looked at Paul Pogba being... Essentially, the only player who could pick a pass through a defence which was solid, you know, and this kind of thing. Demanding that Pogba plays in the team to help unlock those kind of defences. 
Although there was always a question about unlocking Pogba himself. Uh, and Paul Pogba has obviously announced his departure from United over the last few weeks. Juventus are looking like the destination that he will end up joining. I think that's pretty much done on a four-year deal. It's just not official yet as we record this. But Paul Pogba's documentaries come out, Rob. So uh, let, let's talk about the comments. Uh, I'll try and dig up some uh, that have emerged from that. He's spoken about Jose Mourinho and the clashes with him during his time at Old Trafford. But oh, this is the I think this is the one that we wanted to talk about to start with. Uh, my thought process is to show Man- Manchester United that they made a mistake in waiting to give me a contract. To show other clubs that United have made a mistake in not offering me a contract. Uh, and. The big line really is, how can you tell a player you absolutely want him and offer him nothing? Never seen that. Now, this has gone down not too nicely with United fans. I don't like it either. I've got to be honest. But I think, Rob, you, you want to uh, bring your own perspective on this. I, I, I kind of look at this as, forget the context. I mean, <laughs> you look at that isolated quote in itself and they we're basically trying to say, or you are basically trying to say that they didn't offer him an improvement on his terms or much no. of an improvement on his terms. Whereas other people would look at that and say £293,000 a week. You can't call that nothing. And there's also been some energy from some fans of saying you had six years to prove that you were worth more than that and you didn't prove it. How do you react to all of this stuff? I'm just absolutely knackered talking so about, I, by the way, yeah. about Paul Pogba. <laughs> But we will talk about Paul Pogba and I think put a tiny bow on this and kind of wrap it up and deliver it as a present to Turin and let him go and do his thing there out in Italy. From the beginning to the end of the Paul Pogba saga, and it has been a saga, isn't it? So much of it is generated through guff. Now, what he said in his documentary about Manchester United's contract offer is entirely consistent with the stuff we definitely know. And that is... 18 months ago, he told Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I would like to stay at Manchester United. I've decided I don't want to leave the football club. That's something I want to, you know, I want to, I want to help United win and I want the board to give me a new contract. And Manchester United triggered his automatic contract extension. He wasn't particularly happy about that, but he understood and he waited for the offer. So when the offer finally dropped in his lap, the offer to him in real terms was worth £10,000 more a week. So it went from 290 to 300. Now, obviously, he was looking for more money than that. Now, I think United fans, rightfully, can say he's not worth it. I think you can say that. I think you can genuinely say he's not worth more than whatever they're offering. And 300 is a generous offer. But Manchester United 100% knew that offer would get turned down. So why did they make it? If they didn't want to keep the player, Scott, why did they not sell the player? Why did they not get a fee two years ago? You might have only got 30 35, 40 million, but isn't that better than zero? And instead, what you've done is you played the whole Paul Pogba documentary out as it should be with the drama, isn't it? You've done it yourself, Manchester United. So I'm not going to defend Paul Pogba as a person or as a player or any of that, but let's be completely straight. That quote about nothing is 100% generated by the British press. It's rubbish. He, did, he didn't mean the offer was nothing, that 300 grand a week is not is nothing. He meant that Manchester United did not offer him an improved contract. And if you want someone, you offer them an improved contract. Bruno Fernandes didn't play very well last year and got a very, very nice 
pay rise, didn't he, of an extra 150, 200 grand a week. I, w- so- I would counter that, though. I would counter that with saying Bruno came in on about 100k a week, something like that. Absolutely. And so that improvement on higher. his contract was to put him on a pl- on the same level as Pogba, whereas Pogba was already at that level. Bruno Fernandes had already had an effect which Pogba couldn't match during any spell in his first year. Absolutely valid, 100%. You know, Bruno could say, well, look at my numbers and what I did in the first year, you know, forget my form at the moment, et cetera, et cetera. And comparing player to player is not always an easy metric to make when we look at individuals. But the truth of the matter is, is that Manchester United know the value of Paul Pogba as a commercial asset. So if you're only going to give players the money they deserve due to their performances on the pitch, fine, great, do that. That's not what Man United have done, Scott, over many years. They know the commercial value of Paul Pogba. He makes them tons of money in sponsorship. So that's part of the story here. So if he'd stayed at Man United, who would have been the guy in the shirt on day one, yeah, when it gets launched? Ronaldo and Pogba. They would have been the two. That's what you put out. It's what you project, isn't it? But Manchester United had moved away from that. They didn't want to do that. They didn't want to do it a year ago, Scott, and they should have sold the player. Sell him and be sure of what you're doing, your strategy. Instead, what they said to Paul Pogba was, oh, we'd like to keep you 10 grand a week extra, you know, a week. Is that all right? It's never going to be all right to an agent or a player, ever. So sell the player. Instead, you've lost him for nothing. He's gone to Juventus. Not not to, not to, like, I, I do agree that they should have sold him. Yeah. Uh, do you think that COVID affected that plan? Because obviously it started at the start of 2020. It seems to me like lining up that the summer of 2020 would have been the summer that they ended up selling him. But obviously, financially, a lot of football clubs were affected and yeah. we saw the market completely change. COVID has affected the whole of the industry, both on our side of the camera here on the football pitch and also on the football pitch. It's changed the whole business. But with the Paul Pogba deal, this has been going on for ages. Manchester United, the issue has been, Scott, is that they don't have a strategy and they don't have a direction. And they've just hired their manager and they didn't really know what they were going to do with that manager to start off with. You know, a year ago, they would never have said they were going to sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And they sacked Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So this, again, I think comes down to the football club. And we certainly know from Paul Pogba's angle is that he's looked at it and just got fed up and go, oh, I'm not doing this anymore. He could have earned more money with the contract on the table at Manchester United of 300 grand a week than what he's going to get at Juventus. I think that is the damning point there. If he wanted to just do it for the money, Scott, he'd have signed up at United, he's comfortable in Manchester, taking his 300 grand a week and gone, oh, it's 15 million pound a year. I can cope with that. Not too bad. He said he's taken a pay cut to go to cheer in something like half or something it's it's going to be we believe it's going to be in the high hundreds so we're kind of at 175 to 200 and i think that's significant he's kind of saying yeah give me you know that 100 grand extra it's not about money to me it's about winning so i think i can go to juventus and help them win again because they, they have that culture of winning manchester united's culture of winning has dissipated hasn't it let's be honest Nine years in to the post-Sir Alex Ferguson era, Manchester United could not be any further away from winning than if they tried. And unfortunately, Scott, I think players see this. You know, so Pogba is, a, I think, a, a player that will carve up opinion. And there's lots of people that love Pogba and lots of people that hate Pogba. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I saw a lot of commentators say yesterday, oh, now I don't like Paul Pogba. Now he said that this is nothing. And, and it's kind of a get out, I think, because people are like, oh, yeah. Don't let Man United off the hook, people. 
don't let them off the hook. They've been a bad football club and their handling of Paul Pogba and all of their stars have shown that they've been a bad football club. But I think it is right for everyone to move on now. I think for Paul Pogba to go to Juventus, go back to Syria, people say to me, oh, he can't, he can't hide in the Premier League. He'll be able to hide in Italy. He'll be happy with that. No, I think he might have a few more medals in his pocket and he'll be happy with that. And he's on a lot less money. Not many footballers move when they're going to be on reduced wages, Scott. They don't do it. Um, you know, Minarola is no longer here with us on this planet. I don't know if he would advise his his uh, his player to go and do that ultimately when it comes to the cash. But Paul Pogba wants to leave Manchester United because he's sick of Manchester United. And let's be honest, we're all kind of sick of them. <laughs> it does seem like uh, this will probably be the last time that we speak about Paul Pogba regarding Manchester United. On any podcast that we do, he's, I mean, he's not coming back, is he? Maybe no. there'll be one day where United play Juventus and he comes back to Old Trafford and we'll mention it at some point. But Come back as manager in 10 years. Yes, imagine. <laughs> imagine that. But I mean, just, just before we do move on, I mean, a sour end to what is an underwhelming six years. Like, how do we... Like you said it earlier, Rob, this... This transfer, really, I think there's there's not a transfer for me that sums up United's failures over the last decade more than this one. Uh, yeah. You know, spending a world record fee at the time on a player that they let go for nothing just a twice. few years before. Now, twice. <laughs> and they didn't have a plan for him. They didn't get the best out of him. The player himself didn't know what the club wanted out of him. And, you know, the commercial aspect is is obvious there with Paul Pogba, but you know, how do we reflect on this is as this will be the last time that we speak about him really in a United sense, just a bad mistake in the end, isn't it? I think that it's a bad mistake amongst multitudes and dozens of bad mistakes. And what it does is it underlines the Ed Woodward era. So Ed came, took on the football club, obviously straight after Fergie left. <clears throat> First appointment was of course, David Moyes. And from David Moyes to this point of where he's left now, obviously due to the Super League debacle and really the many failures of Ed Woodward, I think the departure of Paul Pogba is the kind of full stop on that era. Because I don't think Paul Pogba's a bad player. I don't think Paul Pogba's ever going to be the leader that you wanted in midfield. But if he did it right, Scott, if you bought the right players, if you had a plan, if you had a strategy, had a good manager, you did it all properly like Liverpool did it, like Man City did it, Paul Pogba would have shined at Manchester United. I believe that. And, and that is not because I have any favouritism to the player at all. I just think he was sold a lie when he came to Manchester United. And that was United. We're going to build around him and do all sorts of amazing things. They were going to be the new Galacticos. It was going to be the new Disneyland of football. Everything that Ed used to give all this rhetoric out to agents. And it was all spin and all a lie. And we've got to the end of this era of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Ole's now left. We have a new manager coming in. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed they haven't lied to Eric Ten Hag. So it's a wait and see, isn't it? Because United are saying one thing and doing another quite often. And with Paul Pogba, that's exactly what they did. They said one thing, they did another. And he thought, been here six years now. That's the best part of my career gone. And I'm associated with failure. Footballers don't like to be associated with failure. What was the buzzword, Rob? The buzzwords was it cultural reboot or some something along those lines? Uh, under yeah. Ollie, yeah, uh, I, th I think with Ole, it was, as well. <laughs> yeah, I think the things with Ole is he was the first manager since Sir Alex 
to really kind of be brought into the inner sanctum of the board and given a lot more powers and controls from within. But when the board got a sniff of a player like Ronaldo, that went out the window. That went out the window. They went, well, yeah, we have been consulting you. Now you've got this player to do it because he's going to sell us a ton of shirts. And of course, if you've got Ronaldo, you win the league, won't you? That's what happens, isn't it? Mm. So Ole Gunnar Solskjaer paid for that, a decision he never made. So he, 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 of course, publicly said he happy to have Cristiano on board. But we've heard plenty privately now since he left the football club that it was a one part of the club thing that he believed failed last season, that that, that signing messed up all of his plans and messed up the, the kind of cohesion in his team. Now, football fans won't believe that because they love Cristiano. But Man United kind of really spun that, didn't they? And it didn't help the manager and then blamed the manager and sacked him. So I just hope they don't do that to Ten Hag because they could. It's the same board. It's the same accountants, the same Glazer family members that have let down this football club from day one. So, you know, it is a wait and see. You just have to hope, fingers crossed again, that Richard Arnold is a better CEO than the last one. Who do we point our finger at then uh, around Dean Henderson? <laughs> because Dean Henderson has been... He is one of the best-paid goalkeepers in world football. I'm not sure where he ranks on that list, but Dean Henderson is among the best-paid per-week players in world football. At a time, the season before last, he came in and displaced David De Gea, had his chance in the team to stake his claim for long-term number one. Uh, failed it, essentially. He didn't, he didn't pass that test. De Gea then displaced him back, and now De Gea is the undisputed number one at United, even though there's doubts about his ability to, you know, be gotten the best out of under Eric Ten Hag. You know, mm. Luis Enrique the other week said he doesn't pick him anymore because of the his quality with the ball at his feet. But Dean Henderson <clears throat> was given a new contract, seemingly made a promise by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Is it is it Ole's fault? He was made a promise by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that he would maybe get a chance. And then it ended up that he was sat on the bench for an entire season and it's just gone very, very sour. And now, and that was at a time as well that where they were talking about 30 to 40 million sale fees to other clubs. And there were other clubs who were interested in taking Henderson off United's books. United kept Henderson. And now he's going out on loan by the looks to Nottingham Forest, who've just been promoted with a potential option in there. We, we're not sure of where mm. this exactly stands of around 20 million if they're to stay in the league next season, if they would like to trigger it. What a, what a mess this is. Like, I, I looked at Dean Henderson as, oh, United, if they want to raise their transfer budget this season, they could maybe sell him. And now it's, oh, no, we want to keep him. We'll keep him on loan. But surely they know by now whether he has any future in the United first team. And if, 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 they, if he doesn't, they have to sell him, surely. And this, again, is the problem with Manchester United, is in terms of their function, of their strategy, how they execute stuff and what they do behind the scenes and why players are fed up of them. So we just said Paul Pogba is fed up of Man United and left. Dean Henderson is fed up of Man United and he's off. Now, it's difficult because, again, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer didn't promise Dean Henderson that he was going to play all the games. He didn't say to Dean Henderson, you know, I believe that you're better than David De Gea. What he said to Dean Henderson is that you are the natural successor and that succession will happen under me. And I do believe under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, that is what would have happened eventually. And Ole was really good at communicating to the players, staying in their heads and keeping them on side. When they lost Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Manchester United players looked at the whole setup and went, what's actually happening here? What? Why am I here? Ralph Ranić turns up and tells Dean Henderson straight out, I'm not picking you. 
and he says that to quite a few players because Ralph wanted players that could do certain things. So I think it just really, again, illuminates how bad Manchester United are handling their own lots. And players from outside the, the, the club, Scott, are watching and looking and listening and talking. They're seeing this. Other players are going, I know Dino. God, he's had a bad rap there. He's telling us that he doesn't like Man United anymore. He wants to leave. He's a United boy as well. Came for our youth ranks. So there's a lot. There's a lot wrong here, isn't there? I don't necessarily think Dean Henderson should be our number one. And I think, again, if you give him that big contract, then it's up to you now to sell him and get that big contract off your books. But what are United going to do? They're going to pay off the wages, send him out on loan. He'll do well at Nottingham Forest, I'm sure. I think, I think he's a good goalkeeper. I think he's better than a lot of the England lot, you know, the England goalkeepers at the moment. Henderson could be the number one for England moving forward into the World Cup. I think he's good enough. But Manchester United, again have made just a big, you know, rat's backside of it, haven't they? It's just a nightmare again. Another player who had talent, who had potential, and you just kind of wasted it. We'll see how, how that one goes. I mean, it looks at the moment that this one might happen. I mean, we're, we're speaking as it stands, so maybe things will change. But You can't blame Henderson for De Gea's form. Like, De Gea came back two weeks early last preseason. And really made a point that he was he wanted to stay number one and he was going to do the work. And he did do the work. And he was effectively one of our two best players throughout the year. Now, I know a lot of United fans are really low on De Gea because it seems like he's only got one foot. You know, he hasn't literally cannot play the ball out from the back. But David De Gea earned his stripes last year. And that's why Dean Henderson didn't play more games. But that transition's not there, is it? You know, Dean Henderson thinks that he's going to be the number one. He doesn't get minutes. He doesn't get told anything. What, what happens? He goes to Nottingham Forest, plays really well. What happens, Scott? Does he come back? You know, does Ten Hag go in six months? Oh, he's England's number one now. And uh, he's actually quite good with the ball at his feet. And, uh, and De Gea's broke his leg and we don't want to give him a new contract. So what do we do? It just feels like another big mess, doesn't it? It really does. And we're moving into the new season. Uh in a big mess at the moment, nothing has really been addressed apart from the players who have been out of contract leaving the club. Let's talk briefly before we wrap up, Rob, about the fixtures which were announced on Thursday. So United kick off the new season with a home game against Brighton, who beat United 4-0 a few weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Those were the days. <laughs> those were the days. Uh, Brentford away, then a Liverpool game at Old Trafford. Liverpool won an aggregate of 9-0 in the Premier League last season against Man United, 5-0 at Old Trafford, 4-0 at Anfield. Southampton, United didn't win that game away. Leicester, United lost that game away. Uh, and that's all in August. So, you know, I think a lot of... It, it really depends which lens you look through for these fixtures because a lot of United fans are conditioned to the players being as bad as they were at the back end of last season. But I, I don't immediately look at those fixtures and think, oh, they are all immediate losses because I think it's, that was just a massive, you know, it was it was completely different. I think these players now will have a weight lifted off their shoulders, a start, they can start fresh and we might see them play a little bit better even if everything isn't perfect to start the season with. And maybe that's just the optimist in me. But what do you make of the first, first few fixtures, Rob? Is this a case of, and what, what are United's aspirations, I guess, going into this so far? Well, to win the title, of course. <laughs> but um, look, it, it, I'm kind of with you on this. You know, we, we just said there about um, kind of being an optimist about it because the reason why you change stuff and you sell players and buy players and get a new manager 
is to change the vibe and to change the direction and the culture and the philosophy. You know, we just use the word their cultural reset. Well, that's kind of where United are now. So I, I, I still feel that United fans are really fractious just by nature, because even when United win, United fans aren't happy. Let's be honest. You know, when United came second, it was, oh, you're not a very good second. So it's kind of, there's a, there's, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. I think with the new season, there's enough going on in the Premier League to suggest that Manchester United get this transfer window right and get maybe a, a new kind of style of football under them with Ten Hag, that they can kick on quite quickly. I do believe that. It starts in pre-season in four weeks' time. And Manchester United, this is why I get why fans are kind of frustrated by the lack of business at the moment in terms of the transfer market. I'm just more bothered about Ten Hag getting on a training pitch with them. Get on a training pitch with what we've got and some new players and start to mould it. And it doesn't happen overnight. I said this, Jurgen Klopp took a good year to sort it out at Liverpool. Um, Guardiola as well, first year was all testing the waters and trying players and moving them on and having a different system. And we're going to have to just wait for that with Ten Hag. So I, I don't think it makes any point being a United fan and feeling frustrated about anything today. It's a wait and see, and let's just see what happens until we get to those opening games. It doesn't matter who you play in those opening games, Scott. They are a tough little run, um, but I actually like the last six games, because I think if United have got anything to play for, those final six matches give United an opportunity to either solidify top four or win the Premier League. So let's see how it goes. <laughs> let's see how it goes. And I think that, that it, uh, let's see the kind of signing United bring in now, because I think that you can talk about your Deongs to your blue in the face. And we have done that. Uh, I think United need to go and explore the market and bring players in that are going to help you win now and help Ten Hag play the style of football that he wants to play. I'm just going to circle back to De Jong there, man. Mm. Uh, because there's, and this is a point that I would like to make about before we wrap up about De Jong. I know that there's other players that could probably do the job that Ten Hag wants, but what happened to a few weeks ago, let's back the manager, let's get the players that he wants. If he's decided that Frankie de Jong is the player that he wants, United should put all that they can into that because he thinks that, and this is where I'm standing from it, he thinks that Frankie de Jong understands the way that he wants to play so much that he doesn't need time to get him up to speed. Yeah. And that will help the transition with the style of play. And the central midfield role, ball carrier, ball player, is probably one of the most important roles in the team to implement the style of play as well. Mm -hmm. Definitely. But the, the problem with De Jong is, is multifaceted, isn't it? And quite unique. Big problem that he doesn't really want to come to United. You have to convince him that. Barcelona don't need to sell as it stands. That's a problem. You need to convince them to do that. And there's lots of things that are red flags on this deal at the moment that make you think, should you move on? So you're right. And United are backing the manager in that context. They're going after his targets. They're allowing him to have that kind of carte blanche responsibility when it comes to incomings and outgoings. But, you know, does De Jong make you win on day one? I don't think so. I think De Jong is part of a much longer-term build. It's the same logic, Scott, what we just said about Paul Pogba. Bringing Paul Pogba in on year one, yes, you won trophies, but he was never an instant choice to change the culture of your team. He wasn't. And over six years, that was proved. And I think with Frankie De Jong, that's also the issue with him, is that I don't think he's a game-changer. I don't think he comes to United and this will be this big personality that suddenly changes United for the better on day one. He's a better footballer than what we've got, but there are other players who could help you. I think Ruben Neves would be 
as effective signing, if not a more effective signing in the short and midterm as Frankie de Jong. He knows the league. He's done really well in the Premier League. Defensive stats are off the chart. He can go from six to eight. He can play all that stuff. He can do the intricate stuff and he can work hard. I think he would have a bigger instant impact, whereas Frankie de Jong might take 12 months to settle in. He really might. So we've seen the Donny van der Beek issue, haven't we? Donny, you know, future star, comes to Man United, doesn't play, not good enough for the Premier League. That's a problem. Not saying that would be how it would be for de Jong, but I think you always have to kind of taper expectations around some of that. We may get some uh, updates on that in the next few days, maybe over the weekend. I think United back in preseason training on the 27th, I want to say. Some, something like this. I'm um, just checking the dates. Now, Monday, the 27th of June has been the, the date identified. It won't be all players, obviously, but I've seen Jaden Sancho's Instagram. He's out getting sweaty and hot, I believe, in the US training ahead of his he return. He's not with England at the moment. Yeah, and I think the, the good thing is that the, the current United players, and I know this sounds like spin again, that they are looking forward to this now. They're looking forward to this transition. They've had a year of, you know, having their own heads kind of slammed against the wall on this. You know, they, they've taken the responsibility and they've been blamed, and rightfully so, with a lot of them. And this is a fresh start. And I think that Ten Hag is, is selling that to all of them. He's going to be like, this is a new era under me. Now you've got to come and prove it. So let's see what Man United can do. I still think there's other players that can help you really well. Like Anthony, I think, is something that's going to continue to burn away in the next week or two. Let's see what happens there. And there's going to be plenty of players linked to Manchester United. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. No no club is linked with more players than Man United every summer, I would probably say. Uh, I think that's a safe thing to say. And it's because we're a soap opera. Because the football club is a soap opera and the media love to put... Manchester United next to players' names. And that's why I think we try and try and decipher some of that because some of it is true, some of it isn't. And we'd rather talk about things that are, are on the angle of truth rather than just make-believe. Just, just uh, something before we wrap up on, on that kind of thing, Rob. United are linked with so many players that, you know, some newspapers and websites will... Obviously, I manage a website as well, so <laughs> uh, we're, we're not guilty of this, I don't think, anymore. But... Manchester United target rejects them for X club, even though it doesn't, uh, you know, United are used for clicks. They used to sell papers, all of this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So yeah. Uh, see if you notice any of that coming up in the next few weeks as players join other clubs and see if they're framed as former Man United targets or current Man United targets. It's quite interesting to follow. Former Man United target Darwin Nunes. Dot, yes, dot, exactly. <laughs> Another one. There'll be plenty more but of those, but, uh, yeah. But there's also agents do that as well. Like agents know that if they stick their player's name in a conversation with Manchester United, that that inflates value. They know that it does happen and it, it creates a marketplace for these players. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of that going around. But I just want United to get their targets, get who they want rather than get the, the players that will just shut fans up because that is not a good look. You know, we've seen them do that in the past. Oh, we got you a Falcao. We got you a Di Maria. Why are you lot not happy? Well, it's because you've got to start winning. And I want to see Man United create a team that actually wins this year rather than one that just treads water and sells shirts. We'll see if that happens. So you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. And watch us twice a week on YouTube on Tuesdays and Fridays as well. So head over to that channel, comment, subscribe, join the community. The link should be in the description of this episode too if you're listening on an audio platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B. And at Promise and MU for the show, we'll be back on Tuesday next week. Maybe something will have happened by then, positively. Well, we will see. But Rob, I, uh, I hope you feel better by then.
Uh, and any final words from you before we say goodbye? Well, I'm sick of positively. I want to be negative, COVID negative. So mm. I'm hoping by Tuesday that I'm 100% negative and I can sit here with a bigger smile on my face and maybe a transfer incoming. Let's see how it goes. It, it doesn't come across that you have COVID while you're recording. Not very professional. So uh... Uh, Lots of coffee, as I said, and lots of paracetamol gets you through it. And I can just lie on the floor after we finish recording. I'll, I'll go and let you do that now. Thank you very much for <laughs> listening, everyone. We'll see you soon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.